Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right. Yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Welcome to Saturday Morning Serial. It is me, Dan Grimshay, your host, your guide through these waters. Joining me, of course, is Marky. E. Say hi, Marky. E. Hey, hey. And what do you know? Yet again, we got Johnny Heck. Hey, all right. The, the, <laughs> you got the three of us. You're listening to the show, and uh, we were just concerned. Maybe you didn't hear last week's show, in which we uh, talked all about Battlestar Galactica. Uh, so we're going to talk more about Battlestar Galactica today, we but there's done. a good reason. Yes, this is uh, this is we are producing a show on the fly, as as they say in the show business uh, business, because we lost uh, a respected, well well loved, uh, one of the original personalities from our uh, Comic Con culture, Mr. Richard Hatch, mm-hmm. passed away uh, just a couple of days after our last show aired in which we were talking about uh, Gaius Baltar and, yeah. and James Callis being a stand-in for uh, Donald Trump. We got a little little political. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. That, a little that, bit. But that's actually the first time we've said that name. That's true. We didn't even right. say the DT <laughs> that's right. word yeah. uh, last week. I, uh, so is that I what we were angling so toward? I, I didn't I, know. Oh, actually. It we, was we, the, should, we should do a rehearsal. It was. The, I've been saying that for days. It was the eve of inauguration day, right. so yeah. it was you know it was well understood what we were trying to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yes, we, we we didn't exactly use a, a blackout curtain. But for, as for that one, as bummed as we were then, yeah, this week's news was That's pretty real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. was a kick to the childhood for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, to find that out because I mean, this is uh, Richard Hatch played uh, uh, Captain Apollo in the mm-hmm. original. He played uh, Tom Zarek in the reboot. In the reboot, uh, but beyond that, we're not just talking about just one guy from a beloved franchise. We're talking about a major convention personality. Yeah, he toured around starting in the very early days before yeah. Comic Con was Comic Con, and he's been there. He has hosted panels. The guy has as workshops. He's, he does workshops. He he. I mean, he was he was a voice trying to get more people into right science fiction into alternative. Yeah, not in, at alternative entertainment. Yeah, in a way, I don't know. Yeah, and he was he was famously accessible. Yeah, and I know famously like the two of you guys are longtime con warriors. Yeah. I know that you were going there when Comic Con was a much smaller, different thing, and I know Richard Hatch was there every time. I was there when it was nothing. Yeah, yeah nothing, was nothing. Sawdust on the floor. There's no laws, no sheriff. They actually had comic books. That's Comic Con. <laughs> I remember comic books. Well, yeah, um, the, he was the the 
person number one that you want to run into at a comic convention. Mm-hmm. He is the most accessible personality there. He always was at a panel. He always was at a, a autograph table mm-hmm. or he was walking around the floor and he was always, always available to us in a very, very open, you know, gut spewing out kind of way. Um, and he is really, really going to be missed. Yeah. I mean, just massive. He, he was a presence who was felt. Yes. There was this, uh, I remember being really excited once because the girl who was the hot chick in Caddyshack was signing autographs at Comic-Con. Mm. I have no idea what her name is. <laughs> Haven't seen a thing that she has done since. Yeah. But, man, she was hot back. I, I remember her from, from Caddyshack. Yeah. All right? Okay. Richard Hatch was, he was that guy from that show way back then. And before the Galactica reboot and all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, so he he owned that, like, that kind of, that vintage kind of place in my mind, like the hot chick from Caddyshack. Right, the childhood memory, right. the, yeah. the throwback right. guy. Oh, exactly. I remember you. Right. And I was excited to see that level of personality. Okay. Uh-huh. Yet this man participated in the culture in ways that the hot chick from Caddyshack would never have done or wanted to or wanted to. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm not judging it. But, you yeah. know, I'm just giving you this like distinction in that Richard Hatch participated, lived this life, this culture that we all adore so much. Yeah. And if you went up to him, you got to. <laughs> If you asked him a question, guess what? He you got listened, an answer. And you oh, got an answer. Yes. He was famous for giving you more than you bargained for. Yeah. He was an ambassador. It, was, it almost made it difficult. I, I think he was also kind of a known thing. Like if you wanted to see Richard Hatch, it was going to be a slow line, not just because there were a lot of people, but <laughs> yeah. everyone was getting a 20-minute personal conversation yeah. where he looked into your eyes and spoke to your soul. and Yeah. yeah. The attention to detail. He was an ambassador to this geek culture because, like Mark said, he was a con guy, but I remember going back in early 2000s but when Comic-Con was still definitely not as huge as it was today. You could go buy a ticket at the door and walk right in. And who did you see? Yeah. Richard Hatch, yeah. sitting there with all these Battlestar Galactica photos. You could go up to him, talk to him. He was there in the early 2000s. Back when he there was, was there. like 15, 20 like, autograph booths yeah. right. total yeah. Yeah. In, in the one little and there were Yeah, and the other guy would be William Cat from uh, Greatest American Hero. <laughs> yeah. There would be, you know, and, and mm-hmm. not to, I love those guys, you know, but those were yeah. the. Michael the, Dorn from Star you know, Trek and right. the ones that you count Michael on Dorn. every year. Yeah. Those are the celebrities that you could interact with. But now it's like the cast of Game of Thrones, the cast of this and that. But Hatch was there before, and he was there right through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's there's this. Um, and he uh, did a lot of panels too. Well, uh, exactly. Yeah. To think that he was just one of those guys who showed up with a trunk full of his own photographs, no. sold them for twenty bucks a piece, put on a little show, and disappeared. He he was involved in Comic Con, right? And All he, four days, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And he he would uh, um, he. He was the host, or he participated in every single Battlestar, you know, every Battlestar panel, period, okay? And that was before the sci-fi show, and that was, I mean, sci-fi, 
S-Y-F-I. Before reboot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fifi reboot. Yeah. Um, and, and, and still, um, as a matter of fact, the, the last panel that I saw him in um, about Battlestar was at WonderCon. And it was just him by himself in the main room at WonderCon completely entertaining the whole room and he the first thing he does is he just comes out and he goes okay well uh we're going to talk about Battlestar and I uh I always have a lot to say but I want to know what you have to say so let's start forming a line over here and you guys tell me where you want Battlestar to go next and all these things started to come out. All these things started to come out. My idea, by the way, which I believe he ended up liking, was that uh, I said, you know, you know, it'd be really cool if we, because the very last, and a spoiler alert, on the sci-fi show, the last thing we see is, you know, the Cylons got their own ship, and they were allowed to kind of leave, and the humans took over Earth, right? Well, those Cylons left. And if everything comes back again, oh, they'll be back. They'll be back, then right? So back. to me, the natural follow-up to the show would be the Cylons come back for some purposes or another. Uh-huh. And, and you know, he actually liked that, of course. Um, but so you know, he, would, he would host these panels. He would host these panels all by himself even. That's how accessible he was. Mm-hmm. He could entertain the whole group and – you know, he was never, ever, ever short of words. He could carry the room. Carry the room. Just like that. Yeah. Whether it's a huge around. crowd or one-on-one. Yeah. And just the one-on-one conversations at his booth are huge. I know, Mark, you, you, I've you talked could to speak him. to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was this, uh, and I, um, I believe you even asked him about this in the uh, interview. Yes, yes. The yeah. interview we have coming up. Don't worry, everybody. We'll get to that soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, there was this, I think this was in 2014, uh, something, something like that. 20, uh, yeah, the yeah. early teens, I remember. Maybe 2013. It I don't a, know. It, it was, was a simpler time. Yeah, it was a, it was a while back. Um, but uh, we were in line, and yes, it was going slow because he, he does engage. And um, I was uh, either I was in a – I was actively in a conversation or I – butted into a conversation. <laughs> but you? Yeah, the, the, actual, the viewer and, can make their own inference. But remember, guys, this is why we go to conventions, because these are the conversations that we want to have, okay? Um, they should call it comic, you know, comic conversation, not convention sometimes. Um, but <laughs> Quick, so, everybody we're, jot we're, that down. <laughs> <laughs> we can't let that idea disappear and evaporate. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so we were in line. And and um, somebody had somebody was trying to explain who Richard Hatch was to someone that, that was in line waiting with them, and he goes, "Oh, he's the bad guy in the in the Battlestar Galactica show." You know, they were talking about the Cefi version, mm-hmm. and I said, "You know, I just kind of took umbrage to that, or I participated in this conversation, and I I said, no, Tom Zarek." is the ultimate fan of man. And I remember this so well because even though I was a, I was like a row back or whatever, Richard Hatch, who was engaged in a conversation and signing autographs, he was, he was engaged. He was doing something. 
And I remember him just like stopping what he was doing and looking up at me and pointing and he, and he goes, that's right. <laughs> you get it. You just, get it. Just shuts down yeah. the kid in front of Hey, hey, shut up. Yeah. Shut up, kid. Some a real fan's talking over here. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what he did. And and so and so he he basically and so we start this conversation going, I don't know, eight to nine people back in line. And there's like this little tiny panel or round yeah. table formed. <laughs> a new panel. Right. Wow. Because, again, guys, he is so accessible. And um, I heard this interview, although it was taped in 2015, um, I just heard it here a minute ago. And you're going to hear a little bit about about what it's like. Because you know, he ends up giving you the same answer that he gave me. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. This is something he's probably had to defend. I, I, I still don't know if that the... The first guy who had actually said that, maybe he just thought he was a Cylon. It hadn't come, <laughs> hadn't come out yet or something like that. But but uh, regardless well, whether it was a fair shake or not, yeah, obviously this is something that I think he's dealt with. I, I shouldn't even say dealt with because he, he loves to engage in it. Obviously why he jumped over several people in line to point that out to you. Yeah. I think uh, he was just kind of itching to kind of talk about it. He, you know, he was obviously um, – and. You're all going to find out soon that he's very defensive of the Tom Zara character. He, he, takes, he takes his characters very seriously. He really falls into the characters that he, that, that he plays. You know? and it's well, he, he does things with a real passion, and uh, he's got this kind of uh, singular independent streak about him. Yeah. The guy, it's almost like if a system is working well, he almost wants to work outside of it. I think that's why he would love the conventions stuff. He's like, oh, this is grassroots. Yep. This is punk rock. This is untested. This is what I'm about. Anti-establishment, anti, not anti-Hollywood necessarily, but anti-machine. Yeah. You know, he, he had some strong points about that in the interview, too. And, and it was, a lot of it was surprising, especially about the Zarek character, where he was saying, no, he's not a bad guy. And even as a huge fan of the show, seen it a few times, I'm sitting here listening to this interview going, well, that's a good point. I'm learning something new about a show that's been off for so long, about a character I, I didn't forget about, but I haven't regarded in so long. That's why, I mean, you know, yeah, Grimm, and that's, Grimm and the Golden Pipes were doing some magic. That's, that's, the, that's the magic of uh, someone who believes in what he's doing and just sounds like a scrapper. And, and he's so, I mean, he's, he's like the perennial Green Party or Liberal Party candidate or something. He, he's never going to be... One of the two major parties, but he's never going to shut his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Here's That's the box. Kind of Here's the box. Oh, I'm standing outside Ooh, of it. He's outside of it. He wants you to know about it, but you've got to come up and talk to him face to face. And he'll talk and, to him. And, and uh, all right, I think we've, we've, we've let it sit long enough. I think this interview is finally ready. Yes. I'm popping it out of the oven about two years almost to the day since uh, I first got to talk to him. We sat down for what was supposed to be about a 15, maybe 20-minute talk about uh, the, the project he was promoting at the time, which is called Cowboys and Engines. It's a project that is still worth promoting because it's still kind of trying to get made. So everybody, check that out, Cowboys and Engines. You'll hear plenty about it in the interview. Uh, but it just speaks to his love of just these independent projects, and he wants to do them. This isn't a guy just trying to get a paycheck. And that comes through very clearly. Uh, and it goes, and from there you can hear his gift of gab. He is a speaker. He takes it. It runs away. 
In a good way. In a, in good a way. fun way. In mostly a good way. could call it the Richard Hatch experience. <laughs> there's, Along with some technical difficulties. Yeah, and some yeah. There's, there's, there's some, some great sides and trying sides. to – This here you are going to see the sausage getting made. Yeah, this is, we wanted to baseball. do this completely unedited. So we are going to leave everything warts and all in there. This yeah. thing that was supposed to be a quick 15 to 20-minute presser. Yep. Another showbiz term for mm, you out there. Fancy. But it was just supposed to be stuff that we were going to then – uh, cut up and pass on to the Maddie P radio show, Happy which hour. is going live that night with uh, James Dean and Bryn Pryor, mm-hmm. who, if you like porn, you might recognize those names, but they're doing this other project, Cowboys and Engines, and we were just supposed to have a, a little clip of Richard Hatch, because that's the way the schedules were going to work. Yeah. A little thing ended up being like an hour plus. <laughs> Of him talking, we got onto all kinds of subjects. Mostly, he got onto all kinds of subjects. I try to keep up. Yeah, <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, okay. so we're just putting this out. We had no idea how to use this interview otherwise, which never made it onto Saturday morning serial. Though, if you look, there may—I don't even know if they ended up using it. They did. It 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 uh, it ended up going on the live feed. But it did, it's not in the podcast feed. Well, so. I think it was like part of like their commercial break or something. But it's not there. I know it got. You heard the Cowboys and Engines ten minute clip then, but yeah, you can't hear it now. But it's gone. <laughs> yeah. It has been lost to the annals of history until yeah. now. We're taking the entire thing out. Uh-huh. We're about to throw it up here, and I have never been more just excited like James Dean would have proud. liked. Dropping it right on the table like like big like a big piece of Geno- Genoa sausage. That's right. You're welcome, everybody. Mm-hmm. Gobble this up, magic interview machine. No disrespect meant to, and please bring us to Richard Hatch. go. Oh, perfect. I love when technology actually works. <laughs> Isn't that a funny statement? Oh, <clears throat> oh that's true. Uh, let's see. Uh, you having a good day, I hope? What's that? I said you having a good day? Oh, I am actually busy, but uh, you know, that's always that's always for the best. How about you? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, I don't know where uh, you are. Where are you? Uh, I'm uh, I'm right down in San Diego. Oh, okay. So it, it must be a nice day today, is it? Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's beautiful here. So my son lives down in Solano Beach. Oh, oh, I love making it up there. And yeah, it, it's yeah, and we we are, we are really dodging a bullet with this winter, I guess, as as most winters. Yeah. Well, we've had rain, but it just seems to go back to being warm again. It's really quite amazing. Yeah, every time the lawn almost gets a little green, boom, it's right back to uh, August weather. I can't complain what about that, though. What part of San Diego do you live in? What part of San Diego do you live in? In, uh, in, in Claremont, right? Uh, it's just east of La Jolla. Okay. Okay. I know that area. I go down to La Jolla all the time with my son. I love going down there. I have a great time down there. Oh, shoot. next time you're around, just let me know. I'll buy you guys a drink. Yeah, no, that would be great. So, where do you uh, do you do your show from home? Do you, how do you do it? 
well, it's all done uh, through the Blog Talk website. And uh, out here here in San Diego, me and my producer, Mark E., are kind of the West Coast coordinators. Okay. Uh, and then the main show is done out of, uh, I believe it's in Long Island. Okay. And we're... And they're doing uh, they're doing their regular live Thursday show. We usually just handle the pre-tape stuff. Okay. Yeah, we we talk to the big names. <laughs> yes, sirree, Bob. You got it. <laughs> no, actually, I think this is kind of a coup for us. We're really excited to have you. I think uh, in a few hours he's going to be talking live to uh, to Bryn and to James from Cowboys and Engines. Right, but right. we managed to swoop in and grab the star. Well, thank and you. It, I appreciate that. No, no, not at all. And we, uh, we, we wanted to. So we were hoping, you know, if we can just talk for a few minutes about cowboys and engines before uh, <coughs> I inevitably let this thing go over to Battlestar, and I'll apologize in advance for that. Anything you want to talk about, feel free to hit me with any shots you want. I'm totally open. Oh, see, and I get that impression. Well, I, we should, here, let me actually start the interview, because now I'm just going to start gushing. Okay, good. Uh, I like that. All right, uh, let's see. Hey, everybody, Grim <coughs> Jay here for uh, Matty P Radio, and we're talking to Richard Hatch. Hey, Richard, how you doing today? Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me to be on. All right. Now, of course, anybody who has seen any TV knows uh, you are synonymous with uh, Battlestar Galactica. But before I just give up and go into that entirely, I want to talk about the, this new project you got coming out, the Cowboys and Engines. Yeah. Yeah. Cowboys and Engines is a uh, steampunk, retro-futuristic, call it what you will, Victorian times back in the late 1800s, and uh, it's a particular genre that is very, very popular all over the country. Think of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's got that retro-futuristic where you have that classic kind of period look and feel, and yet you've got um, more sophisticated technology. In this case, um, they deal with the fact that maybe uh, we went down the, the road dealing with steam, as opposed to maybe some other forms of energy, but that we're able to do all these extraordinary things and, and kind of be moving into the future back in a kind of a, you know, earlier time period. It's a kind of an interesting combination, and fans love to dress up in steampunk costumes. So it's, it's kind of nice that for the first time in a long time, they've got a project that they're producing, they're pitching to the networks, and hopefully will get picked up and become a show. Oh, that's that's uh, that's ambitious, and I like I like projects that do that because I know you guys are kind of grassroots. Uh, I think uh, uh, Bryn Pryor, the director, it's it's kind of part partly his vision, and he wants to do it, and he, it's been done through Kickstarter. It's a real, it looks like a real labor of love, but I've seen some of the finished results, and it does look good. And yeah, it's the the whole steampunk <clears throat> Jules Verne. And if any of you out there don't know what steampunk is, but you've ever been to a, a, you know a convention, you're bound to see a lot of people dress like with with like the uh, you know, top hat with goggles on it. That would be a, a dead giveaway of of the steampunk crowd, which is I hate that I'm about to say this, but it's gaining steam culturally. Uh, well, it's, yeah, like I said, it's all over the country. They have steampunk uh, balls, um, time traveler balls. They've got these wonderful old-fashioned balls where everybody dresses up 
uh, again, and usually a very Victorian style, although some people wear a little bit of the more Western dress. But, again, what's, what's really cool about it is that uh, <clears throat> fans love that combination. You know, period pieces always kind of have a style that's a way of dressing, something that seems to be far more interesting than today's styles. And uh, you, you combine that with future technology, you know, moving into the future, rocketry, space travel, which is what we have because I'm a, you know, ex-politician um, heading into Dodge to catch a cattle boat to Mars. You know, that kind of shows you a little bit of the, of the retro-futuristic version of that. But, again, it all comes down to really fun characters. They've got Malcolm McDowell to come in and, you know, play, the, uh, play one of the uh, badass characters who's, again, trying to control territory. And, and every bad guy I probably has his reasoning uh, why he wants to conquer, why he thinks he should control everything. But, you know, it, it comes in many different forms and shapes. But obviously what's interesting here is, you know, he's using all his scientific, technological, you know, sophisticated uh, stuff to basically control the agenda. But, of course, as always, you got to come up against the, the ordinary man. And in the case, I kind of play that, that ex-politician who got tired of the whole game of, of uh, politics and decided to go back on the road, get out there and, and live life. And he ends up meeting this really kind of interesting slew of characters and uh, we get on this road to where, you know, we, we start having this wonderful story of, of characters interacting in this world, dealing with the challenges, and, and obviously having to go up against, uh, you know, <clears throat> Malcolm McDowell and his more, if you want to call it, badass uh, uh, technology that's capable of uh, taking out a lot more people. Uh, and, but it's always the little guy against the big guy. But I, what I love about it the most. It's just the whole look of it, the feel of it, the cost, costuming of it, the energy, the music of it. It just kind of blends. I'm a very history buff. I love the Victorian times. I love the way, you know, women dressed back in those days. Um, there's just something about it that I, I couldn't get enough of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, you know. And the yeah. Nautilus, that yeah. sophisticated ship back in a day when they only had, you know, wind ships. And all those, uh, those, um, you know, uh, they had a little bit of steam technology back then. But nevertheless, it's just, again, it's just such a visually interesting uh, dramatic topography to, to visit. So I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing aesthetic, you know, the entire steampunk thing. And this, this movie gets it right. I think some people may, when they, when they hear this uh, description, may picture like the, the Will Smith Wild Wild West from back in the 90s movie, which is was when it was kind of in its infancy. And for some bizarre reason, they made that movie steampunk. But now, when, right. when you look at uh, Cowboys and Engines, which, by the way, everybody, is E-N-G-I-N-E-S. So in case right. I wasn't conveying the clever title there, I want everyone to know. But um, when when you see it now, uh, looking at what you guys were able to do for, I'm sure, a fraction of what they had on that budget, Everything look like your the costume designers obviously know what they what they're doing and it shows that they want to make stuff like this. Uh, and it's I you know you you can use the computer for uh, for post processing and for effects, but just the costumes, the attention to detail, and all the practical effects 
I was I was blown away. Well, I, I have to tell you that number one, we're we're kind of in a day of of changing business models, new technologies, new ways to do everything. Um, filming is changing the way we raise money. In fact, networks and studios more often than not are waiting for uh, indie producers to come up with new ideas and go test the marketplace themselves. They don't want to take the risks. And generally speaking, they 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 are picking up projects on the outside, just like you know, film studios pick up indie projects and distribute them on a on a main uh, line level. Um, you know, it's it's a new way for fans for, with very little money to support a idea, concept, story that the studios wouldn't want to take a risk on, and yet they're able to put together these productions. And when you say a, a minimal budget, let me tell you, studios waste money. They really do. What you think it takes to make a project, it, it takes a fraction of that to make that project. A lot of money goes into people's pockets, gets wasted. And look, that's whatever it is is whatever it is, but there's ways to put together amazing projects for far less money. And then I what oh what happened? What was that? Oh oh I think somebody I lost come into the uh, queue? Uh oh, no, it sounded like no, somebody get in the queue. Okay. I got it. There was a voice that came on. Anyway, the point I'm making is um <clears throat> this Kickstarter has become a new way of raising money to put together pilots, presentations, make movies, do things that ordinarily couldn't get uh, funded before. And the ordinary investor, who may only, you know, not have tons of money, couldn't get involved before, you know, just by giving 50 bucks, 100 bucks. The average investment usually are somewhere between 50 and and $100. But enough people put in 50 or 100 bucks, and you've got millions of dollars. And they did that for Veronica Mars. They raised millions of dollars for that. XNR, which is a Star Trek groundbreaking Star Trek indie project um, with all professionals that's going to be filmed, starting filming in May, and I play General Karn in that. Um, it is not just some little ripoff or copy of something. It's actually an evolution of the Star Trek world and universe going into a time and um, uh, um, topography that's never been explored before, and people can go on and check that out. Um, but yeah, XNR, that's a AF, prelude yeah, to XNR, yeah. Yeah, and again, the, you know, just like Cowboys and Engines, they raise money again through the Kickstarter campaign, and it, it's just become a new way uh, of raising sometimes startup cash. Sometimes you're able to raise enough money to actually make your project, but a lot of times I would say investors kind of like the partnership of, of seeing, first of all, how a producer is able to market and sell their idea and concept to the public. And then if the public really likes it and supports it, now the investor feels more confident in getting involved. So sometimes what, what happens is is that you have a partnership. You, you've got the ordinary, uh, everyday person like me, you, and everybody who can invest in something that the studios don't want to do. And we all know studios don't want to take any risks or chances. So they, they basically keep going over the same concepts forever. You know, they play in the same, same sandbox. Well, here we are with a bunch of talented, gifted people all over the world. We're finding ways now with the new technologies we have to make very sophisticated projects, and they're pitching them. Some of them are building new business models, distributing their project directly to the audience, monetizing it, building up a business model that works. We're in a whole new world that's operating in the entertainment business, and it's only the beginning of it. It's going to explode over the next 10, 20 years. And 
I think you're going to see with Cowboys and Engines, with Exnar, and with several other projects, I'm involved in one called After the Harvest, which is a post-apocalyptic thing like Mad Max. Actually, Vernon Wells, who starred in Mad Max, is one of the producers and actors in that project. And they did the same thing. They're putting this together as an indie project, pitching it, and raising money in many new kind of ways that didn't exist 10 years ago. So it's kind of, um, and, and, and by the way, because of the sophistication of technology, you're realizing that all the things that sometimes studios could only do 20, 30 years ago, now somebody in their own house can do the same kind of quality special effects. So, it, again, we're, we're in a new world, and I think it's just going to come down to, hey, if it's something is good and the audience likes it, they're going to build a relationship to it, and they may not even go through normal distribution channels or through the networks or studios. They'll go directly to the public like many recording artists are doing now, bypassing old publishers, bypassing mm-hmm. old uh, record companies, and that building that, that direct relationship. And the reason why is because a lot of these artists got ripped off in the past. The, the person who put the most amount of energy into the project was the one re- receiving the least amount of the revenue. And when you build that direct relationship, you're able now to put it, I think, back in its right, right order where the people who actually put, take the risk, put the most energy into the project are the ones who reap the biggest benefits if the project is successful. So it's, it's a new day. And, and by the way, the studios then, if they see something successful, they can go try to make a deal, and sometimes they do. But I think in the future, you're going to find a lot of people not wanting to make that deal. They're going to keep their relationship with the public, you know, and they're going to directly uh, distribute it to their customer base and not have to go through a major distributor anymore. It's like eBooks. eBooks is opening up the whole new world where people are going to, you know, distributors instead of publishers, um, and they're porting it to different venues, and they're releasing it all over the country, all over the world. Um, Far less money is taken out of the revenue, and the vast majority of it goes to the writer, the artist, the person who created it. And again, the artist does have to develop a business sense and get involved in the business of it. But then again, for me, the business side of the equation has to protect the artist side. The artist usually got taken advantage of. So it's a new day, and Calvin yeah. and Engines is on the cutting edge of that, and it's going to be exciting to see where Bryn takes that. He's just one of the most smartest, most you know creative, most dynamic human beings I've ever met. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he what he does with this. But it's you're going to see many really exciting projects coming out of the box in whole new ways. And and uh, Felicia Day, who was starred on Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, she couldn't get hired after Buffy, and she wrote her own story called The Guild about gamers, a story about gamers. And she produced it online. She monetized it, and she has millions of fans following The Guild for four or five years. And then from that place, she got hired to do many other things. And she had lines around the block coming to see her at all these big multimedia conventions that have become iconic now for all shows, movies, television shows, gaming, toys, doesn't matter what it is. They're all yeah. over the world in every major city. Every studio, every company is represented there. And, um, you know, she was self-created, self-propelled, and this is, by the way, a, um, a template for all artists. You really have to be proactive and go out there and get involved in creating your success. It's no longer about turning it over to other people. So it's 
again, it's a new day, and I'm excited to be part of it. Yeah, the uh, the internet, technology, and computers have just it's a profound difference. You know, the change that it's had on the uh, the industry because it's essentially made the audience into the studio, and it's and it's rewriting the lines of distribution, and it's uh, well, you're bypassing, you're bypassing all those. I mean, they don't even want to put money into most things to when they distribute something, even the studios. You know, they, they many times shove it out the back door, and it doesn't even see the light of day. They don't want to put the money into it. And, and today, like I said, you know, if you decide to, to market and sell it, you can build up your social networks. A lot of these uh, creative young artists are putting, creating their own channels on YouTube. Um, and then YouTube is actually giving them money to produce programming. Um, and then these young artists are finding ways to build that relationship to their audience if they have good programming and interesting things to see. They monetize it and build their own business model. And uh, like I said, this is going to just continue to open up all kinds of new possibilities for a lot of very talented, creative, visionary artists to to get their product through the pipeline and out to the audience. And, um, again, I I find it to be very exciting. Yeah, this is is the power of, of community. And I think the pop culture community is really swelling to be a force to be reckoned with, you know, economically. Well, they're tired. They've had it. I think they've gotten tired of the old business models. You know, they really don't work, and unfortunately they're top-heavy, and they're not balanced. So, like I said, the revenue doesn't get shared. I remember a day when guesting on a TV show. You've got a decent paycheck that could pay for your your rent. But, you know, Mm -hmm. so often today a few people make a lot of money and everybody else makes nothing. You know, and so it's, again, I think artists have to kind of build their own business equation. They've got to put together, you know, their own little business arrangement, pull together artists, technicians, and learn how to build product, involve themselves on whatever levels they want to do it, and then learn the art of marketing and distributing, finding the most viable way to distribute that product to a very, if you want to call it, hyper-responsive marketplace that wants what they have to offer. Again, that's the business agenda. And in the past, lots of artists didn't want to learn it, didn't want to deal with it. They turned their power over to, uh, you know, business managers, agents, people like that. But honestly, today, the people that are succeeding the most are the ones who are taking the business side uh, in hand, and they're using it to protect the, the artist side of the equation. And again, I, I find it even more exciting anyway. Because you're not sitting oh. waiting for the phone to ring. You're not waiting for somebody to offer you something, which still happens from time to time and certainly can happen more as you get more and more popular. But you going out there and making it happen, creating opportunities, you meet more people, you open up more doors, and more things happen. So, it's, it's again, it's just a whole new, more proactive, more exciting, you know, more interactive way of dealing with business, especially the entertainment business. Well, all that being said, I wouldn't be surprised to see 20th Century Fox rebooting the Cowboys and Engines franchise every 10 years in the box office. <laughs> or, but, you know, or, hey. Yeah. Oh, hello? You could see, uh, I mean, like Felicia Day with, with the Guild, she had two to four million people following her. And by the way, you, know, you can have all the people in the world following you. And where does all that money go? I mean, movies can make billions of dollars, and nobody sees money. You wonder where all – they won't even claim that it made a profit. 
and you'll wonder where the money went. So the truth of it is you could actually make something that reaches a smaller niche marketplace, and if you built a different financial model, you, the artist, you, the producer, you, the creator, would receive far more money than you ever got from the studio. So, again, there's different ways of doing it, but I think it'll just it'll, it'll even the playing field. And studios and networks will have to play a fairer game if they want to compete, and they'll, they'll have to, to barter and, and negotiate with these incredibly talented, proactive uh, indie artists who don't want to play by the old rules. And again, like I said, it's, an, it's like the gold rush days. It's a very exciting new day in the entertainment industry, and it's only barely begun, but I think it's going to explode over the next 10, yeah. 20 years. And it provides a lot of opportunities for, uh, for artists who might otherwise be overlooked. In fact, in, in the case of Cowboys and Engines, uh, Bryn Pryor and, uh, and another uh, producer, James Dean, who are both uh, on, on the show right. with Maddie, uh, come from a less than conventional background. Uh, they make they make no bones about it, so to speak. But uh, coming from the world of adult films, which has traditionally been, if you were involved in adult films, that was it. You that was the industry you were relegated to, you know, forever. You know, uh, Paramount's not going to hire a, a, a an adult movie director in in 1990. But here, well, you know, my system, it is is that yeah. But see, that's the old that's the old system. My thought of it is is that. You know something, you might be somebody that can do many different things. If you like the adult industry and you go in there and you, you bring your own special brand, your own approach, your own artistic, whatever you want to call it, approach to, to doing that kind of programming, and you do a great job, great. And then you say, I want, to now, I want to do a really good drama. I want to do a comedy. I want to do a more traditional piece, or I want to do this. Why not? Yeah, and if that yeah, I don't think your, your work history vision, precludes that possibility. Yeah. That's exactly right, and I'm nope. glad because I don't, yep. I don't think studios would give them that chance. But we, as the audience, I'm glad we've spoken and said, "Of course, here's here's well, fifty bucks, send me a T-shirt, make out, a good movie." Aren't we finding out behind closed doors that all the so-called people who are so-called doing all the right things aren't necessarily doing all the right things and aren't playing by the rules? And and do a lot of stuff. That it's always like judge not lest you be judged. You know the thought of it is I think we're realizing that the kind of things are becoming more transparent. And I think as we become more transparent, people can't bullshit or get away with what they got away with before. But we're also becoming more tolerant, more forgiving, more understanding that we're human beings. We're flawed. We're imperfect human beings. And by the way, there's nothing wrong if somebody wants to make a good a porn movie. Why not? And there's an audience that wants to be served by that. If that's what you love to do, why not? Whatever. It amazes me, you know, how many people put themselves up on a pedestal and judge other people, you know, and, and, and limit the possibilities. I mean, for me, yeah. if I meet somebody and they're unique and interesting, I don't care, you know, what they did or didn't do. They didn't go to college. They didn't get a degree. If I find that person fascinating and interesting to talk to, and that's all the and they're a good person that I can you know feel comfortable with. That's all that counts to me. But I I do think that we're kind of like children still growing up in grammar school about how to deal with people. We still get caught up in our bias, our prejudice, our needing to somehow decide what's right, wrong, what people should or should not do. I think we're moving into a more embracive, forgiving, more tolerant. And this doesn't mean letting 
the earth, the world go to pot. It just means we're learning how to, you know, open up and realize that there's a lot of diversity in the world and we all have different things we need to do and express. And it, I think we're just getting to a point where, where everything is going to be more exciting. I mean, even programming. Look at the kind of programming we have now <clears throat> where they could not have gone there 10, 20, 30 years ago. The edgy oh, yeah. programming. When you see Game of Thrones, or when you, did you see Spartacus, the series? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, tell me something. The, the, some of the, when they went in and captured what Rome might have been like back in those days, the debauchery, the sexuality, the, all the things that happened, you could have called that a porn movie. Oh, I yeah, mean, easily. They I, think, I think some Spartacus. outlets did. Oh, my God. They had more, there was more, uh, more sexuality in Spartacus than there was in just about, and more edgy sexuality in, in Spartacus than there was in, in any porn movie I've ever seen. But the point of oh, it is, yeah. is that it, it, they, were, they were exploring what might have went on in Rome during that time, and they had incredibly deep, profound, complex characters dealing with that world. And they, they weren't trying to, you know, protect or hold back or, or we can't go here, we can't show too much skin, we can't do that. They said, look, we're in a new time when people... Or if you don't want to watch something, you don't watch it. If something bothers you, then watch something else. But nobody should have the right to tell other people what they can or cannot watch. And I just found Spartacus amazing. It was such a very intimate, very personal look into that world. And, yeah, certain things happen both sexually and on a violent level in that world that was hard to look at sometimes. I don't know if you ever saw the series Oz dealing with the men's prison. And all the crap oh, yeah. that happened there. Some of the best writing, best acting, best producing I've ever seen. But that show would shock the crap out of you sometimes with what went on in that prison. Again, we've kind of reached a point where we're just not so afraid. We're not so, you know, we, 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 we're, we're, we're not trying to hide things. Although, look, for me, I, I, I'm very kind of fundamentally old-fashioned in certain ways. I like really edgy programming. I like to really have a window into what might have gone on in that world, but I'm not particularly, you know, for me, if I watch a movie, I honestly don't think most of us are very attractive when we're making love. So uh, watching a whole bunch of sex on the screen isn't exciting for me. I'd rather watch a really kind of sensual, it could be a, a very erotic story, but watching people go at it on screen is not my thing. Um <clears throat> If it's part of the story and the characters, I have no problem doing it. I remember I did a scene, it was for network television, but it was a lovemaking scene. I was with, uh, at that point in time, a famous actress, Susan Blakely, um, who was very well known at that time. And I tell you, uh, usually sex scenes are really awkward and weird and strange. But, man, this woman was totally unleashed. She had no inhibitions. I have never made a, a, a love scene like that one. Um, you know, it was mostly covered up in the bed under the covers, but it was something I've never had an experience like that, you know, filming a, uh, a sex scene. And, and like I said, back in that day, they were very protective of how far they would go or not mm-hmm. go. But again, I'm, I'm just one, if it comes out of the character in the story, I'm all for it. If it's just gratuitous and thrown in there, then it's not my thing. But look, hey, they're they're trying to sell the product. 
if they don't trust the story, if they're afraid it's not going to, you know, get enough people, to, then they're going to throw in everything they can, whether it's more action, more violence, more sex, trying to get a bigger audience. But for me, I just love great storytelling. I love great movies about something that not only entertains you, but it has more depth. It's about something. It gives me an insight into the human condition. But hopefully, like for me, especially, I like to come out of a movie feeling good. I don't want to come out feeling depressed and feeling hopeless about life. That's just not my cup of tea. So yeah, anyway, that, I that's think for I reality. Always an engine. Yeah, I mean, you look, I mean, to each their own. To each their own. But, you know, there, fortunately, there's just some amazing shows on the air. I mean, Boardwalk mm-hmm. Empire was amazing. Game of Thrones. I mean, there's just so many. Dexter was amazing. Breaking Bad. God, just so many wonderful shows. This yeah, is and, kind and of the talking about how, like, you can, uh, how, how we can make shows like that now that we couldn't make 20, 30 years ago, I think you have right. a, a unique perspective on that. Because as people know, yep. you you know, Battlestar Galactica definitely deserves mention as one of the the new one as just the groundbreaking. This is how you right. write television, and you yeah, were also I mean, part I, of the yeah. original, which I, as a kid growing up, I loved to death. But they are different Thank shows, you. and I was wondering, yeah. you know, what, what's your take on that? And did you do you think Glenn Larson wanted to do? More that the that uh, that the network wouldn't allow, or was it just a different soil for the seed to grow in? Twenty five years. Well, later? it was it was a whole different day in television. I mean, they were first of all network television didn't understand sci-fi, was uncomfortable with sci-fi, so that already bothered them, and uh, especially something that was out in space, a space show, that wasn't something they felt particularly comfortable doing either. So. You know, you have all those elements going for it. And then, you know, they they couldn't be too edgy back in that day. They were too concerned about serving everybody, trying to get the largest audience possible, which I understand. And so, therefore, they they were upset even about Starbucks smoking a cigar. I mean, you had they had to play it very safe and very family-oriented, and it was also on at a family time slot. So, you know, it had the pluses and minuses. The pluses were the whole family could sit down and watch Battlestar. It was about family, extended family, surviving a Holocaust and surviving life and death experiences every day in space. You know, my frustration as an actor was I wanted more substance, more uh, drama, real drama, surviving space, the, the, the trials and tribulations of dealing every day with your own, you know, morally conflicting circumstances where you had to make life and death choices and where some days the hero would show up and some days the coward would show up, which is what the new show went into very, very powerfully. But back in the original, we couldn't go there. So, you know, the first couple of episodes dealt with all those people dying on the ships, all those ships that were sailing along with us, and they went very quickly away from that. They didn't want to get into stuff that was too you know, edgy, too depressing, too, too um, whatever you want to call it, too um, threatening to people. So they kind of dealt more with the kind of the space opera with, you know, the good guys going down and saving the day. Um, but I, those first couple of episodes, I love the most. And I love the a last, a, a couple of the episodes in the middle and a couple of episodes at the end. But for me, they were so afraid and they couldn't do it because of the network. They couldn't go into too edgy of a fair 
they couldn't really get into the depths of that Battlestar Galactica story like the new show did for me. That's why, as much as I love the mythology of, of the original story, I love the chemistry of the actors, I love the crew, I love all of that. Uh, and the mythology I really love, too. The Mayan, Aztec, uh, Egyptian thing, I love that. But uh, I, the new show for me, the, the quality of the writing, the depth of the writing, the, the subject matter that they were tackling, for me, that was groundbreaking television, and I felt really proud and excited to be part of that. So I was so happy I was able to play a character on that show. Yeah, I felt I when I was a kid and really liked it. I think why it was so accessible to me as you know, you know, five six years old was okay. We've got you know, uh, you and Dirk Benedict. You're the good guys, and you're fighting Cylons. They're the bad guys. And then when I heard about the uh, the, the reboot, I thought, oh, so it's just going to be better effects. They're still going to be fighting the bad guys, and almost immediately the the question of the Cylons as the bad guys. Just, is is just left exactly that they're a question they they seem like they're basically us well what they were trying to say was um it was technology gone bad but it was it was the fact that in a weird way the problem with the cylons started way before the cylons were created it started with factions of humanity just like we have here we have the we have the various religions and of course through many centuries, we've had the religious wars dealing with, you know, the Christianity, dealing with the Muslim world, dealing with the Jewish um, uh, part of the world, and all these civilizations, you know, trying to get along and, and then battling with one another. Um, and they kind of put that into, they kind of they segued that into um, a scenario where it was the monotheist opposes the polytheist. And that started with the humans, not with the silence. And the humans were battling with each other, and we were, they were having terrorism just like we're having today, and just like the Muslims and Christianity or the extreme elements fighting one another, going against each other. They had that happening with the humans, and then that programming got segued into the technology. And then ultimately the technology got to a level of sophistication where they took that programming and then they rebelled against their creator um, in order to, in a sense, go to the next step of their own evolution. And then they became their own world, their own universe. But they had a lot of that programming of being a monotheist, which didn't come from them. It came from us. It came from us yeah. humans. So in a weird way, programmed into those Cylons some of the elements that caused them to go to war with us. I, I, apparently... Uh, the monotheists and the polytheists somehow battled it out, and ultimately it seemed like the polytheist uh, won out, and that became the religion of the land. Uh, humanity was a polytheistic, uh, whereas the silence were totally monotheistic. Um, so, again, he was using those kinds of things, but I think he was telling a greater story, which is the story where we always think the other guy's the bad guy, and they think we're the bad guy. And the truth is, we're seeing it from our extreme point of view, narrow point of view. They're seeing it from their narrow point of view. And the truth is, who really is the bad guy? And in a weird and I way, think, I think the enough. mark of that skill of that show is that it makes us ask that question. Whereas the original, and, and, they wanted yep. it to be so accessible, they didn't. They didn't want us asking that question because that is not an easy storytelling <laughs> trick. No, and he did it in such a 
really covert way by um, having the Cylons really mirror us in many ways. And yet here we are, they were actually more us and then we're the other guys and we're looking at the Cylons as the bad guys and yet in a sense we're judging ourselves. We were actually judging ourselves and that was the interesting thing. Um, it was a way of, of covertly moving us, just to positioning us around to the other side as if we were now the Muslims looking at the Christians and realize, and thinking of the Christians as the bad guys and, realize, and not realizing we're actually looking at ourselves and, and judging ourselves. And that was the brilliance of Ron Moore. And Ron Moore truly was one of the, and is, one of the most brilliant, I think, um, uh, writers in television right now. And I love uh, the new the new series he's got, which is uh, Outlander, about a woman from the 1940s, a doctor, finding herself back in 17th century um, Scotland. So it's, that's a powerful story, and it's really doing well. I'm really happy for him. Well, I'd like to, um, and, and especially because my producer would kill me if I didn't mention this, but my uh, producer, Mark E., uh, goes to Comic-Con religiously. And he always, yeah. you know, he always, he's, he's got, I don't know how many programs and pictures signed by you, but he always tries to talk to you. Uh, and he, he mentioned one of his favorite anecdotes is uh, a couple years back, I think, uh, standing one or two people back in line uh, while you're doing autographs. And he was having a conversation with someone else. And he was talking about your character, Tom Zarek. And I think he, he says, well, Tom Zarek is like the ultimate human or something to that extent, and he said, you stopped what you were mid-conversation and pointed right at him and said, yes, you get it. So I'd like to know ah, where I'm, Tom Sarek yeah. sits in there. Yeah, wow. Well, um, if, if that's, that's a heavy subject matter for me because, um, number one, I really like Tom Zarek. Number two, uh, I, I, felt, I felt very personally connected to him, and what happened to him really bothered me as a human being. Why? Because I really, what I related to was that I thought Tom Zarek, number one, was not only brilliant, but he was also incredibly courageous, and he saw the larger picture. He realized that humanity gets lost. Humanity loses track of the very things that they espouse or say they believe in, and yet what they believe in so easily gets lost. And what happens is, is that, especially in the case of politics, um, in any post-apocalyptic circumstance, governments tend to drift left to right because people turn over their power and a government becomes more totalitarian, more authoritarian, more of a dictatorship. And here we had, he was on a planet where the government became very dictatorial, threw people in prison that didn't agree with him. And by the way, all dictators think they know what's right for everybody. They, they think they're doing a good thing for the most part. They just think they know what's right for everybody, and they're going to make everybody do the right thing. Well, that's a dictatorship and, and no longer a democracy. Democracy is a much more volatile, much more challenging um, thing to, to make work because it really, really, really requires building a very informed, empowered um, um, uh, constituency that keeps their government accountable. And the trouble with post-apocalyptic things is people become children, they turn over their power, and governments go, well, we need to save everybody, and we know how to do it, and we're going to do it our way, 
and we no longer have to build consensus. We don't want the Congress, the Senate. We don't want to have to get everybody to agree. We're going to make the decisions because we're doing what we know is right for everybody. And if you don't agree with us, they throw you in prison. And that's what happened to Zarek 25 years earlier, and that's what happened again on Battlestar Galactica. The so-called good people started doing bad things for so-called good reasons. And Zarek had seen that happen many, many times, and he said, you can't do that. And he challenged them, and then he, of course, becomes the worst person in the whole world and all through history. Anybody that challenged governments like William Wallace were always written up in history. As they always say, history is written by the winner. You know, who are the true good guys and the good bad guys? So often in history, the so-called bad guys in history were probably the good guys. And the so-called good guys were the bad guys. You know, governments controlled people, manipulated, played games, did all kinds of crazy shit. So the truth of it is, though, I was, again, the guy challenging the government, the guy trying to make the government accountable, the guy trying to find a way to have a voice, to have some impact, and having to manipulate and play games behind the scenes in order to accomplish that because they kept pushing me out, rigging elections, taking my, my election away from me when I should have been president. I can't even tell you all the rules they broke. Uh, and then they went about throwing people in prison that didn't agree with them. And, and then, of course, they started making decisions that many in, uh, of the – um, not only crew, but of the of everybody on on the Galactica didn't agree with or in the fleet. But of course, in the end, my co-partner in the coup, Data, wanted to have a uh, uh, trial because he felt so strongly about you know indicting uh, indicting um, you know um, Adama, and my and I of course had made it very clear because I've been through this before that. In a coup, which is an extreme mechanism you only use when you cannot do it any other way. And they, I hate to say it, Rosalind and, Zare, uh, Rosalind and Adama took away any public, any political recourse. So therefore now it was either my way or the highway, and a coup was the only way to stop what they were doing, which everybody, more people agreed with us than them, but they, they had a loyalty to Adama and Ro, Rosalind, which was the undoing at the end. But... Again, I, I, I always wondered why everybody made me out to be the bad guy when Rosalind and Zarek and Adama were doing so many bad things, you know. But they always tilted it in such a direction that you always assumed that Zarek was the bad guy. But for me, Zarek was willing to serve 25 years in prison for standing up against for human rights and standing against a dictatorship. That's a per- I don't know too many people who were willing to do that, and he was willing to challenge them again when the government started to go south, and again, he paid the ultimate price, and he was more than willing to pay it. Was he a perfect person? No. Did he lose faith in government and people in positions of power? Yes, with good reason, because people in government in positions of power screw up all the time. And the trouble is with most people, as we already know, this is a larger issue, most people are passive. I call it the extreme left and right that controls the agenda and the passive missile middle is where most of us live, is passive and doesn't do much. Therefore, we're always controlled by the more radical elements of either party. So for me, he was a man alone standing up against, you know, uh, a, I hate to say it, a dictatorship. And the people, unfortunately, were not willing to support him. People get uncomfortable 
when anybody challenges governments, even when they're right and they know that person is representing them, they get uncomfortable because they know they should be doing it, because they know they're afraid, because they know, you know, but, but they're threatened. And, you know, we've seen it all through history. So I love that character. I believe in that character, and it pissed me off all the things that happened to that character that I felt were, were not justified, and I couldn't believe how many people always go, gee, what, did it, what was it like to play a bad guy? And I thought, do you have any <laughs> knowledge or understanding of what a bad guy really is? You know? But anyway, my last little sentence here is, on Battlestar, in a sense, there really were no good guys, bad guys. It was all about good people, unfortunately, put in very challenging, morally conflicting circumstances where they many times did a lot of bad things in order to accomplish something good. Although I don't necessarily agree with um, the fact of some of the decisions that were made in, the, in that regard. Well, I think, uh, you know, what I picked up on and what I think a lot of people are feeling through the Tom Zarek character is that out of, out of everybody in these extreme conditions, he was far and away the most uncompromising, which may be why he ended up having to pay the ultimate price. Well, you know, you know they even sat when there first came to show. Remember with, with, with Gata, I mean, uh, with uh, Baltar. Baltar was responsible for millions of people dying and was forgiven, right? And, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, because I challenged Adama, right, I'm the Antichrist. And, and then and Gata, who was a very good man, had, went out with me because we both believed the same thing, you know, and we were both willing to pay the ultimate price. You know, but the truth was, I, yeah, it, how funny that, you know, we should die for something when we were trying to do the right thing and many people agreed with us. Um, and, and by the way, and, and also the fact that uh, Rosalind and Adama are the ones who caused the coup. When you take away democracy, you know, and I hate to say it, I, I personally believe this. Democracy either works or it doesn't work. And if you believe in democracy, then you have to support it. Through, through thick and through thin, through up and through down, it's not a con- something that you can conveniently um, push aside because you think in this moment now we need to make all the decisions and we need to be a dictatorship because that's how we're going to survive. No, democracy either works or it doesn't work. And, and you have mm-hmm. to either commit 100% or not. It doesn't work part-time, and it's not something you can just miss conveniently because you think it doesn't serve in that moment. And, and that's something, uh, you know, it might be debatable, but certainly mm-hmm. democracy is not an easy institution, and it does require all our participation, which is why we don't have a real democracy, because most people don't participate. Most mm-hmm. people don't care. Most people don't involve themselves in politics. Well, I think, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. <laughs> That's actually not a bad statement. <laughs> That's not a bad statement at all. I, see, I uh, think ultimately if everybody was educated, um, involved, and made their governments accountable, and see, if you're knowledgeable and make your government accountable, then people can't get away with murder. People can't make you t- uh, misuse the power that is invested in them. And then the power still resides with the people. But when people turn away or turn their eyes away or, or turn their power over to the government or let the government, you know, and, and again, people only complain when somehow, some way, um, they're not getting something they want, you know. They don't really want 
to deal with the government. They don't want the government in their way. They don't want the government to be telling them what to do. They don't want any of those things. But if they don't get what they want or things fall apart, then they want the government, you know, to save them, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of have this love-hate relationship with government. But really, I think democracy would work if we were all educated, informed, um, which is not the case, uh, informed about all the things that are going on in government, all the things that concern us, all the bills that are passed. People don't even understand what the bills are. They don't even understand all the all the pork that's attached to bills or why people say yay or nay to a bill. All they see is the, the superficial, the, the obvious, and they don't understand that there's reasons why people make the decisions they do. And then you have to really take the time to understand that so that you can see if this is somebody you want to give your vote to or you want to have them representing you. But I also think we shouldn't have career politicians, which hopefully we'll get to, so it becomes something you serve for four or eight years and then you move on with your life. And then you, you'll have a lot less crap going on in government when people aren't hanging around there for 40 years. Yeah, and I think and to, to take us back to what we were saying earlier, there's a new day for, for movies and television. I think it's kind of, at the very least, an economic experiment now with the, with the indie uh, production and the rising quality of storytelling and just the accessibility for artists. Uh, it's, 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 it's an experiment for the culture. And in a few generations, that mentality, if it takes off, may start to apply to even serious, you know, underpinnings of life like government and regulation and diplomacy. Uh, For now, just I just want to see if we have to sit through another Spider-Man movie in four years. Uh, If we can accomplish that, there's hope for the next generation. I couldn't believe that they brought Spider-Man back so so fast. And to be honest with you, I... I still like the one series that came before, and I really love that. And by the way, I like these two actors. I like Emma, and I like the guy. I think they're wonderful actors, <clears throat> and they certainly didn't do a bad job. But, you know, it, it's it's kind of gotten boring, same old, same old. There's just nothing really exciting about it. So, uh, And I, I love Spider-Man. I mean, Spider-Man was one of my favorite superheroes, but I love the last uh, trilogy of, of Spider-Man movies much more. Than this most recent version, I have to admit. Oh, me! Too. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I think he was my favorite, you know, comic character growing up. But maybe, maybe yeah. as part of that, I feel kind of obliged every time they put one out. I'm like, well, I've got to go show my support, and I go there almost with a no, no, I face and plunk down my money, and I, <laughs> I feel like yeah. I shouldn't be doing it. That's that's basic. That's an uneducated voter right there. But in in entertainment terms, I should at least be. I should own my audienceship more. Is what I think. We're, and we're now hungry. I, there's so many more options out there. Yeah. You know, we're, we're desperate to artists yeah. like you. Hey, by the so way, uh, I'll tell you the movie that surprised me that I thought was really quite good, and a lot of super uh, movies are are not all that good. But I thought the uh, the last Captain America was actually quite good. I thought they oh, really yeah. did a great job, with that. and it really, uh, for some reason, Captain America is always the least of the superheroes, and they made him so much more interesting and compelling in this last one, the last version. So, uh, you know, every once in a while we get a really, really, really good movie. And uh, unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but I don't find too many great movies anymore, but we certainly have some amazing television series. And that's where all the great writers, the great producers, the great actors are coming to television 
as opposed to the movies. But every once in a while we get lucky and get a, a really good movie that slips through. So, you know, but I hopefully in the future, because I'm a big movie buff, I just hope to God, you know, as things change as they are with indie producers and, and people putting together their own productions and coming up with more interesting ideas and stories, that we're going to have far more interesting movies in the future. And uh, there will be a lot of independence away from the uh, the monopolies of the of the studios, and and we'll be able to get some interesting new ideas out there as opposed to looking at the same old same old stuff done four thousand billion times. Yeah, yeah. No matter there, no matter how interested in sci-fi mainstream audience had gotten, I don't think NBC, CBS, ABC, maybe even Fox would have seriously considered putting Battlestar Galactica in their prime time. But having Sci-Fi Network out there and giving them enough money to do it right and making sure they could take the time to make a quality produced for adult show, it it paid off amazing dividends, you know, culturally, if nothing else. I I hope you got a paycheck out of it. Yeah, yeah, well, I did. By the way, uh, is this going to – what time is this going to play tonight? Um, actually, in the show's going to start in about an hour and a half, I think. Uh, and I just want to carve out, but I just want to do, well, I'll just take about 10 minutes of us talking about cowboys and engines, and they'll cue that up. I'm, I'm emailing my helper, Amina, to promote. So it will play where and what time? So it's on the uh, Blog Talk radio site on uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern, so 5 o'clock uh, here. Uh, and you can, uh, if you just search it uh, for Maddie P's Radio Happy Hour through the site. Do I look like it will play on the blog radio site? Is that what I say? Yeah, yeah, it'll be on the Blog Talk Radio site. Um, let me see if I can see from the site I'm at now. I can't quite get over there, but yeah, and the yeah, and the name of the show is uh, Maddie P's Radio Happy Hour. Right, the show is what again? Uh, Matty P, M-A-T-T-Y, P, and Radio Happy Hour. At RadioHappyHour.com? No, uh, that's just the show title, but it's all hosted on BlogTalkRadio.com. Oh, oh. BlogTalkRadio.com. The show is Maddie P at Radio Happy Hour. Uh, no, no, just Maddie P. Uh, Maddie P's like Maddie P apostrophe S. Happy Radio Happy Hour. I think that's exactly apostrophe what it's S. Yeah. Wait, Maddie M A T T Y P is in Paul apostrophe mm-hmm. S. And then Radio and then what's Happy the next Hour. Thing? What is uh, it? Radio. Just radio. Maddie is there an at? What? No, no at. No at. Okay, so just Maddie P, apostrophe S, radio happy hour. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, Maddie P's radio all, happy hour. All one word? Uh, no, the title can, can be spaced out. That, that, I think, as soon as you go on to blogtalkradio.com, They'll they'll usually have a listing of all the shows currently airing, or you can just search directly to it. 
I don't know if I can get a link to it right now. From the studio, I can't get over to the uh, to the promo line. Shoot, man, if I open another browser. Oh, you know what? I think... Oh, uh, actually, I think I can, uh, as soon as we're done, I should be able to uh, just text you uh, an exact uh, 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 Internet link. Okay, great. That should be, right. yeah, That's it doesn't look like it'll let me get to it from here, but... All right, yeah, and so... so what did you uh, ask? Oh, uh, it's the, uh, the show, the what they're doing uh, at 5 is is just uh, the, the long, uh, it's just promo for the Cowboys and Engines. So I'll just cut out like 10 oh, minutes of, of us talking about that. And then okay. uh, I know my, we also do a weekend show about pop culture, which we would love to, uh, to use some of, some of what you were saying about Battlestar. I really, right. uh, okay. my, my cool. producer is going to love that. Right. Cool. All right. Uh, let's where were, I think, I feel like I, I, I got you to get really deep about Battlestar. I really appreciate that. Um, oh, you're welcome. Uh, and I know, and I'm, and I definitely did want to uh, touch on. Uh, Make sure I'm saying it right. Uh, Axonar. I think Prelude to Axonar yeah. is out. You guys are still doing it. I, we really want to keep an eye on that. Like we've already talked to a few other people involved in that one as well. Uh, so we might even try. Yeah, that's going to be uh, filming. That's going to film their. They're renting sound. They're renting um, warehouses. They're refurbishing them as sound stages, and they're going to start filming sometime in May on the movie. And then uh, it'll take whatever time it takes um, to do the post, which can be six months to a year doing all the post. So sometime probably next year, but I I don't know the exact time frame. But I know they're doing something so ambitious with this. It's going to be on the level of the studio films. It's not. It's going to be unlike any indie trek project ever made i i don't think anybody's ever seen anything remotely similar to this it's uh it's really really quite exciting to be part of it plus <clears throat> i think um these kinds of uh projects that people that love a particular genre whether it be star wars or anything you know just like games you know they have gamers and game designers and kids come into these games and create whole new levels within games they're like creating more of a synergistic collaborative relationship with gamers who are coming in and building into the game, building onto the game, um, expanding the game. And I think you're going to find this relationship happening in um, movies and television shows where very talented, gifted fans of a particular genre are going to come in and take the story in all kinds of new, exciting directions. And, and um, there will be a relationship between the, the original creators or the studios that own these these projects and these very creative fans who are able to bring new energy, new insights into a uh, into a story frame. So I think it's it's we're we're moving into a very kind of exciting age in the entertainment field. I think this is such a proactive approach to get. I mean, over the years, Star Trek has you know it's it, it weathered campaign write-in campaigns uh it got fans to to build such groundswell that a studio started making movies for it and it got you know it came back to television decades later it's it's 
you know, to see it now signify what, and a lot of eyes are on this, to see how well this kind of super grassroots fan-made uh, project can 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 do if it can stand right next to the other stuff. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of eyes on that, and I'm really excited about it because I'm a big fan. But I think other people who just well, want to see yeah. if this is going to play out to be a, a legitimate way of making entertainment in the future, we're, we've got high. No, I think, um, yeah, no, I think it's it's going to look just like they had multiple Star Trek series. You know, there's no reason in the whole world there. I mean, there's fan fiction, but now things are getting so sophisticated. You're going to find people creating their own kind of timelines and their own things. And, you know, they'll, they, they have, maybe in the future they'll get licensed. And, and, you know, they're going to let go of trying to control things so strongly, just like they did with music when it came online and we had iTunes. And, you know, all of a sudden they, they realized that they couldn't fight it, so they partnered up and they participated and they actually reached more people and generated more revenue ultimately not less. So ultimately we're just kind of stepping out of an old business framework, an old way of thinking and beginning to open up into a much more collaborative synergistic relationship uh, with the public that uh, uh, we're trying to serve. So I, I think uh, we're, we're moving, again, we're moving to a very exciting time where a lot of talented, creative people that couldn't get through the pipeline, couldn't make contact, uh, couldn't take their ideas and pitch them, uh, couldn't you know? Couldn't get, ever get directly to the public because of the the distribution pipeline. Well, all of that is breaking down, and the oh. the, the doors oh. are opening. And yeah, oh, can you hear oh. me? Oh, oh, I think I lost you for a second there. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh. Anyway, that just bits and pieces. Hold, let me jiggle some cords on my end. Wow. It's. Okay, well, this sounds like a Cylon trick. What's going on? <laughs> Can you still hear me? Am I still here or gone? Okay, now it's on repeat. Oh, I, I don't I don't know if you can hear me, Richard, but uh, I just hear one looping thing from you. Oh, really? I can hear you. Oh, oh, wait, you're back. Okay, wow. That that I think was the uh the spookiest uh Skype bug I've ever come across. Oh wow. By the way, uh, can you still hear me now? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're back. You're back. Uh you know, I was just in another project online again where uh, Machinima, this company that does a lot of work with games and gamers, um a lot of programming, um they're taking uh where they used to take a um, successful TV series or movie and throw out a game on the back end. Now they're actually taking a successful game like Loadout, uh, which is on Sony PlayStation, um, and they're turning it into a live-action piece. I just did a, a live-action pilot for Loadout, which is kind of mm-hmm. like star, um, a little bit like Firefly, and we just filmed that. People can go check that out as well. Um, oh, that's going to excite and that people. Was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. So, again, by the way, I do want people to know, since to check out Comic-Con at Sea, um, go over to www.comiconatsea.com. That's www.comiconatsea.com. And check out this celebrity uh, entertainment cruise with uh, actors from different shows, writers, directors, 
and we're doing panels and workshops on various industry, behind-the-scenes industry kinds of uh, agendas, learning how it all works, learning how we make stuff, uh, learning how we get things together. And it's going to be next May, I mean, sorry, June 14th through the 21st. And uh, it starts in Barcelona, and it's a week-long cruise on Allure of the Seas, which is one of the, I think, best boats, most exciting boats out there um, in the cruise line. So uh, check it out, and I hope you guys, people can join us. Oh, wow, that sounds really awesome. And I always do my acting everywhere I go. I'm going to do it at Galacticon. I'm doing it um, at just about every convention I teach. My Everything You Wanted to Know About Show Business Workshop, which includes the art of acting, auditioning, uh, writing, putting films together, the new age of, of indie filmmaking and, and uh, Kickstarter campaigns and all that stuff. I get into the whole art of uh, where the industry is going and uh, how to take your idea and, and, and make it happen. So that's another thing that people might be interested in. But you can also go to my Richard Hatch richardhatch.com site, um, and I do one-on-one, believe it or not, coaching, acting coaching, but I also do one-on-one life coaching. Um, I teach an ongoing workshop here in L.A., although I go in and out of town all the time, and I teach at colleges, universities, but um, I do, I will be teaching online um, group uh, acting classes and workshops as well um, in the coming days. We're putting that all together. So I love teaching. Teaching is a passion of mine, and I always feel that we share with others what we learn the hard way. That's what teaching is. And so uh, I had to learn the hard way. I, I never learned. I wish I had learned all these things in school. Um, that's another challenge I have with education, that education doesn't give us what we really need to go out and succeed. Um, but I, I kind of teach a lot of, even in my acting classes, I'm teaching a lot of uh, life skills about how, to go out there and be more, find more success and fulfillment um, in your life. So um, people can check that out and go over to richardhatch.com and find out all the information if they want to either attend a class or if they would like to do a life coaching or acting coaching um, session with me. Hey, people listening, I've, I've been talking to Mr. Hatch for, for less than an hour now, and I can tell you this guy obviously knows what he's talking about. He's one of the most articulate and and. Uh, he and, and I would say passionate people, especially about uh, the condition of Hollywood and the hopeful direction we're going now. I think we would all do well to learn from you, sir. Well, like I said, I'm I'm very humble about that. I just, for me, I'm. Uh, what's the word? Life was not easy. I had to go through a lot of hell and um, fall down and make a lot of mistakes. Still do, um, but I've always, for me, I've always been fascinated by the human condition, by the things that get in the way and stop us, you know, how fear, insecurity, belief systems, judgments, everything that gets in the way of using your talents and abilities and learning what, what is the art form of life? How do we move through these things and find more meaning, more fulfillment, more happiness in life? And that is the journey I'm on. And, I, again, I share that in every way I can with people. There's, it's joyful to see somebody come online, see their eyes light up, and see them kind of reconnect to who they are and what they really, really want to do in life. So, again, that's something they can check out there. And, and if they see me at a convention, definitely come to my workshop. So I probably will be doing them at WonderCon here in Orange County coming up in April. I do them also at Comic-Con in San Diego. 
um, Dragon Con. I do them every major convention. Every convention I go to, I do it. Well, you know what? I, I can guarantee Marky e is going to be at WonderCon and Comic-Con, so you can probably expect to find that guy in one of your workshops. If I've got the time, Wonderful. I would love to check that out. Um, cool. And, uh, and, and like I said, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, it's always good to talk to someone who's not just a sort of blind fan of, of the project yeah. he's involved huh? in, but obviously knows his stuff. I, I did you. not expect such an in-depth talk about uh, Battlestar and the machinations behind it and just basically his comment on human nature. Uh, usually I try and work in a couple fart jokes, but I think you robbed me of that uh, <laughs> opportunity this time, Mr. Hatch. I'll forgive you. You're more than welcome. By the way, you have a great voice. You have a really good voice. Oh, I'm sure okay. even you, you you do a radio yeah. workshop too, don't you? You sly dog. No, I I do voiceovers. I actually am I'm, I'm with ADO. I do voiceovers, um, you know, for various things. But you you have a really easy to listen to voice. You know, uh, I really notice people the texture, the tone, the quality of somebody's voice. And you have a really really nice voice. So I'm sure your audience loves listening to you. So, but thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, and I and really we would like to uh, catch up with you again as things uh, progress. We want to hear as I, I know I want to hear a lot more about Axonar as that continues. I'm really excited about that one. Uh, uh, Cowboys and Engines. Let's fing- fingers crossed. It will not just stop with this. It will move on, but hopefully not end yep. up in the Hollywood dump pile. Uh, no, nope. we hope that's what we're going to work towards. And yep, I totally agree. All right, everybody, check out some of these projects. Look for Richard Hatch at, well, richardhatch.com is a good place to start, but you can find him at many uh, cons. And I know a lot of you listening are near some con that you go to. Look for him, uh, any panels he's doing, get in some of his workshops. Uh, And you know what? Before you accidentally make me a better person, I think this is where we should uh, wrap it up here. (laughs) That's funny. That was a great statement. All right, thank you so much. Have a great day. So say we all to everybody. Keep in the faith. All right. That's, that is my line. You stole uh, it. Yes, I did. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I'll have it on the radio first. <laughs> all right. No worries. Have a great all day. All right. Thanks. And, uh, and okay. I'll, uh, we'll I'll email you the, uh, the link for, for this show, too, as soon as, I, as soon as I get off of here and switch over to the other browser. Perfect. I appreciate that. All right. Have a good day. All right, you do the same. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Hope to talk to you soon. Bye. With the Battlestar Galactica Cylon bubble machine, each sold separately, you can make lots and lots of shiny bubbles. You start by filling the Cylon warrior's head with bubble liquid from his body. Then you dip the bubble ring into the liquid, blow on the tube, and out come big bunches of bubbles. Battlestar Galactica Cylon bubble machine comes with three ounce container of bubble liquid. Well, they, I, I love that they have uh, detailed instructions on how to blow bubbles. <laughs> he has liquidy <laughs> bubble goodness in his tummy. Yeah, yeah. Completely gloss over whatever link there could be between Cylons and bubbles, but now you know how to blow them. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean by 
every link between Cylons and Bubbles. What, what, okay, you tell me the link. Well, episode four, uh, a Cylon clearly had Bubbles come out of his head. Um, you don't remember that episode? I Well, yeah. I think if you guys could see this thing, I mean, it's uh, if you looked at a Cylon uh, walking around, it looks like a bottle. You just take its head off. And there you go. I think that's what they were. It was total aesthetic. If there would have been yeah. a season yeah. two, Bubble Cylon. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do another commercial because you guys are taking this. <laughs> we're not going to. All right. All right. All right. All joking aside, uh, that's, that was Richard Hatch. And uh, what I love about that interview, and one of the reasons we left it uncut like that, like including that cringeworthy segment. Where I'm just trying to tell him where he can hear the radio broadcast at Blog Talk, and he is struggling so hard to keep up with me and write it down. It's almost like an Abbott and Costello routine, or you know, more more precisely, it's like if my dad actually gave a shit about doing something with the internet. It's that kind of exchange, whereas in reality, my dad could – any question he has about the Internet, if I don't have a half-a-sentence answer ready, he's just going to give up on it. Not Richard Hatch. That was what it was like talking to him. Yeah. That was – if you ever had the chance, this is one of those personalities in our our little Comic-Con sphere that that he was more than the sum of his parts. I yeah. mean that on every level. Yeah. He was a personality that you could talk to, and he was so involved in what he was doing, and he, he always tried to apply it to a bigger worldview. And, uh, you know, if the guy was just a little more charismatic, he could probably lead a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, in a way, he kind of does lead a cult. In a, yeah. you know, in a way, anyway, you know, he's, he's one but, of the one of the shining uh, early priests of the Comic Con cult. Uh-huh, yeah. You could say the the Church of SDCC. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I am a believer in that myself. I think you know because I am one of the one of the well, relatively few, but realistically, the many that have had the opportunity of like talking to him and kind of engaging with him. Um, You're so modest, brother Mark. <laughs> yes, bow down. <laughs> but you look, th- this is, you know, this is one of those guys that just really just left it all out there for you. Yeah. You know, and, you know, just like, just like you talked about with the, my, my outburst in line and when he kind of stopped the line to kind of yeah. talk to me. Because he had a very clear Yes. image in his mind of exactly what Tom Zarek's role in that world was, and he wanted it to be known to people on the street. And I think he... And we got even kind of close to that in the interview, and he went all over it. Right. And he actually had some pretty prescient statements about government, et right. cetera. That could that, be relatable I mean, today, by the way. Very much so. Were you not... Were, I mean, I think we were all just like, yeah. oh my God, you this guy... Little, you get some chills when he's talking about democracy and yeah. stuff. Yeah, but yeah. and and that's but you know he could appreciate somebody that could be involved with the characters as much as he was, you know he was yeah. he he is one of us is that's the overall theme here. He, he is he, you know he is he is a he's a fan. Yes, he's as a, much as anything. In fact, he he was the one behind the early Battlestar Galactic right, revival, right. the one that didn't happen. He made his own short film about that, like. What was it like back in the nineties or something? It was yeah, it was the late uh, late nineties. He did the Battlestar Galactica Second Coming, writer, director, 
producer, star. In the early reboot, you got a lot of the original people back in it. Filmed a half-hour pilot, uh, proof of concept, tried to get you know, Glenn Larson, 20th Century Fox, who owned the right. He toured he tried it. To do it. Toured it. He went coast to coast, taking this thing in a four-minute trailer, which is available on YouTube if you want to check it. But showing this to people, man, he was the original kind of grassroots ambassador of Bowsar Galactica. And maybe without him, and we were talking about it without him, if he's not stoking that flame for a BSG yeah. reboot. He kept it alive. Does the Ron Moore reboot come to fruition? Does it exist without him doing all the heavy lifting? Yep. Well, I, I think it was... Luckily, we don't have to know. We don't, but I think it was just the fact that of all the original Battlestar you know, cast, he's the only one that made it into the reboot. I think that that speaks to his passion. Mm-hmm. And I th- they were like, we, can, we need to shut this man up and put him <laughs> in this show immediately. And yeah. a, a polar opposite of... Apollo. Right. And Tom Zarek. So, hey, yeah. we're not going to make you, well, I'm not going to say good or bad guy. What I will say they, is a different character yeah, than care, Apollo. Careful around they, Marky. They actually, though, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, remember, he's a fan of man. But the, the, like, the actual, the first episode where Tom Zarek is actually a part of Battlestar, they put him directly opposite of Apollo. Yeah. They're right. actually. You know, adversaries yeah. immediately. Yeah. So they they brought in Richard Hatch and they they put him on the opposite side of Apollo. And you, you could not have reversed the typecasting no. any no. better. That was that was great. And, and he and, he he rose and he, to it. And he's he's a fan above all else. Like we were saying mm-hmm. that this uh, Star Trek Axanar that we were talking about. And remember, this was two years ago. Right now, some some big news actually on that front has just come out. Mm-hmm. By the way, all all you not, following the not Axanar, all good. Here's a little backstory. Yeah. It's a fan film from the Star Trek world. Mm-hmm. Now, this has been allowed for a long time. CBS, Paramount kind of turned a blind eye to fan films, as George Lucas famously did for Star Wars, which results in great fan films. Mm-hmm. However, Axanar uh, kind of pushed it a little bit by using a lot of professional actors, by using putting real money into it, making it a professional kind of quality fan film. Walter Koenig's in it. Walter Koenig is in it, friend of the show. Mm -hmm. Walter Koenig, uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell. Adrian Wilkinson. Adrian Wilkinson. Uh, People that we have talked to, people who, a a big cast. Mm -hmm. This kind of thing is, they got like over a million dollars on Kickstarter to make it. So at this point, that started, I guess, to set off some flags for Paramount. They said, wait a second, this might be crossing the line from fan film to just stealing our license. It was dollar signs. They saw, hold on, you're making a million dollars off of this. We need a piece of it. Yeah. And also, to be fair, though, where where do they draw the line? You're, you're In right. a perfect world, I would like to think they would go talk to Axonar Productions or whatever and say, hey, how about maybe you show us the script? We talk about making this a real, honest-to-God Star Trek movie. That didn't happen. Instead, it was a contentious lawsuit, and it was just been decided. It's been settled. So there's no clear winner. But it looks like if you read the between the lines, Paramount and CBS won this one. Now there's strict rules on what you can and cannot do to get away with doing a fan film. And essentially, Axanar cannot be a two-hour feature-length film. No. I think uh, some of the rules that we were... Reading that, they, I guess, released 
stipulations, rules, regulations on it can be no more than 15 minutes. You can't raise more than 50 grand. They can't even use Star Trek name. You can't use the Star Trek yep. name in the title. So they really kind of pigeonhole them. So we still get some semblance of a fan experience, but nothing like this million-dollar yeah. production that we were going to get. Yeah. So is it dead and is it gone? Uh, no, but... But it's it not sure has been neutered. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's yeah. So, so uh, uh, the end result is the Axonar uh, like twenty minute prequel, which is already out there, I think, is going to stay out there. And at some point, once they whittle away all the good parts, <laughs> yeah, <they'll laughs> we will get two yeah. fifteen minute uh, episodes that you'll see on YouTube. And I don't think they're even allowed to like put ads yeah. into the YouTube right. presentation. It's no. so strict. Mm -hmm. So that's about all we're going to get out of that, but thank God they can do that. Uh, and Well, and Richard Hatch plays a Klingon in it. Uh, pretty, at, pretty high billing, too. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the so we'll see that. He's one of the big guys in that. So um, that is something we can see. Uh, Cowboys and Engines, right. of course, we should mention that. That is still shopping around. They did get, since the time of, uh, of our coverage here at Matty P., but two years ago, like I said, they have raised more. The Kickstarter hit its goal, and then some. Uh, they put together like what they call a sizzle reel to go shop around, and it's really good. Yeah, and it actually for yeah. for as much I think it's like 150 grand altogether yeah. they spent on it, and that includes like taking it to festivals and stuff to raise interest. So uh, what you see on the screen is still really impressive. Uh, I don't know what the future spells without uh, Mr. Hatch involved. But uh, that's one worth keeping your eye on. Yeah. Uh, what else did we talk about in there? Well, look, it's this is just the general state of being geek is really what the yeah. whole interview was like, and it, it's. Yeah. Uh, and he would probably be the first to agree with with the fact that some of this you have to accept is over. That's the double edged sword of the changing business model. Yeah. That he was. I you uh, listeners to the show know that I Grim Shay. And we're really fascinated by how all of this is changing now. We're moving away from studios, Kickstarter things, online distribution. So he seemed just as fascinated. Yeah. And I would trust his opinion much more than mine. I think that's why a 15-minute conversation turns into an hour and 15-minute yeah, conversation. Exactly. Is because he is that passionate about it. And I don't get – and, you know, God rest his soul, he's, you know, uh, he's, he's not here today, obviously. But I don't think that any of this – what we may consider as bad news, it wouldn't have stopped him in the least. Oh, no. This I, man would, would keep not going. Flicker his flame. He, he would was... keep going and keep going. Again, he's the ultimate fan of man, you know, just like Tom Zarek. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he believes in the art. He believes in his place. He believes in us, you know, as a fandom, as a geekdom, whatever you want to call it. Yep. You know, he, he never short of words, never afraid to engage you know, never afraid to participate. Yeah. He was all out there, all exposed at all times. And, you know, that's what we were hoping that and we could maybe show you today. marinated in the culture. If absolutely. you think you've been to a lot of conventions, he's been to more. Yeah. He, was, he was one of us. He was absolutely one of us. Mm. And he was realistic about the expectations of these types of projects. But he was also super optimistic about each and every single one. Sure, he was like, I hope we could do it. There's some talented people behind mm -hmm. it. There's some yep. talented people. So he, it, he's like, but I don't know. Yeah. 
but he was also encouraging the next generation, you know, our listeners, hey, if you have an idea, go to Kickstarter. Get, Get some friends yeah. together. Get something happening. You know, yeah. it's funny and that you said that. Um, at, at that at that WonderCon panel where it was just him and then, I don't know, probably a, probably a thousand people maybe. It, it was the biggest room at WonderCon. But I remember him saying that. He goes, he's like, you guys are the ones that are going to keep Battlestar alive. You're the ones that are going to keep it that are going to keep it alive and and powerful and relevant. I want to hear your ideas for where Battlestar can go. How fulfilling is that? Huge. You know, it's like he's he is he's giving up ownership of something that is so personal to him, and he's just he's what's the word bequeathing. Uh, I, I'm always socialist. afraid of socialist. He's socialist, sure um, but he, yeah. So he was he was giving it to us. Yeah. Right? Well, I think he, he I think he actually he knew it was never his. It was ours. Right. And where when you're a star event, so much entrenched in it. I mean, again, doing that um, second coming, he wrote a bunch of BSG books, but yep. he never said this is mine. And I want to share it with you. This is ours, and look what I'm doing, and look what we can do. Oh, that's so key what you just said, Johnny, because, like, one of the things that I've always had a big problem with is, you know, of course, I'm a big Star Wars guy, and there's all these people that are just, like, so possessive of Star Wars. That's, that's, not, the, that's not my Star Wars. That's not my Star Wars. Yeah. Richard Hatch never said, that's not my Battlestar Galactica. He says... Go and make your Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I want to see your Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, that's, you going to you know, do a reboot? That is so Richard Hatch. It is so I mean, Richard Hatch. And the guy Hatch. was full of fire. He was both optimistic and yet constantly yelling at the powers that be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was just this conundrum of, of passionate, creative work. And yeah. uh, to be quite honest with you, I think pop culture and the world at large is, is mm -hmm. worse off without him. I agree. We are not as rich as we were. Right. Uh, so, I, I, I so say we all. So sir. say we all. So say we all. So Good say point. we all. Rest in peace, Richard Hatch. Uh, and I guess that's about enough of this. So Thank you, Apollo. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's let's get together here. Damn it. So, so say we all. all. There we go. Bye, everybody. So say we all. To everybody. To everybody. everybody. And knowing is half the battle. Ah, oh, this is enough of this.